And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Ultimately, you know, keep saying it. Get 1% better every day. Just get a little bit better every day. Welcome back. Just landed in Indianapolis after a wild night in Denver. I don't really know what the right word is. Weird, indescribable. Quentin Nelson's word was disgusting. You guys watch the game. You know what happened. This is Zach Kiefer joined by James Boyd. This is 1% Better. The Colts are 2-2-1. One of the wildest, weirdest games I've ever covered (laughs) on this beat. I've done this for nine years. James, you've never covered a normal game in your five games on the NFL (laughs) beat. I don't know where to start, but we'll start with this. When you're walking out of the stadium, I think we left about 1.30, 2.30 in the morning, whatever it was. What did you think about what you had just seen? It's very hard to parse through the fact that they won a game they had to have with the fact that they were utterly atrocious on offense for so much of the game. I just kept thinking that regardless of how it looks, they're 2-2-1 and and they're 500. Mr. Glass half full guy. Yeah, I mean, I was explaining to my dad about it. He calls me after every game. Um, and he get, he's like, hey, Andy won, Andy lost, whatever. And he's like, you guys are – and he always says you guys because I don't yeah, know Yeah, you're why not on thinks, the team, yeah. I know. I don't know why he thinks I'm on the team. You on that. Whatever. I've tried and I've tried and failed. But regardless, it was funny having that conversation like, yes, they've played an odd amount of games, five, and they're 500. So to me, it was just a hats off to the defense, which – I get the Broncos offense has been awful this season. However, you still have to go out there and do your job as a defense. And they've done it. I mean, they haven't given up a touchdown since, I believe, the, they have played five quarters of football yesterday. They didn't give a touchdown up in the second half against, they didn't give a point up in the second half against Tennessee. Essentially seven quarters, right? I mean, that's. Yeah. Defense yeah. balled out. And, and you wrote about Stefan Gilmore. What was. It's always interesting to be in the locker room. And I tried to capture it, and I know you did as well. What was the locker room like 
after this win, especially when Gilmore would walk through. It just felt like he was the big man on campus in a sense. And I think he felt validated. I asked him a question and I go, Stefan, you're 32. Does part of you feel like you need to prove that you can still do this? And I don't know if he took offense. I don't think he did, but you could tell the usually reserved Stefan gave a little more than he usually does. And he's like, turn on the film. Like everyone has opinions about my play, how old I am. He said, I hate when they say he's older, watch the film. And he probably said, watch the film at least four or five times. And yeah, at the end of the interview, I was thinking to myself, okay, I'm going to ask him a question that is a little off the wall, but everyone kept saying he's him. He's him. Meaning he's that dude. He's that player. He's the leader. You know, he's the one that Russell Wilson. Someone should have told Russell Wilson that. Don't, don't throw try at him. him. Yeah. And he said it himself. He's like, he kept trying me. So I made him pay. And so I asked him, are you him? And then Brandon Faison interrupts before Gilmore could interrupt and give me some politically correct answer. And he's like, he's him. He's that guy. And he looked like it. So it was uh, fun to kind of detail that through the eyes of the teammates because everyone, I mean, Stefan Gilmore had the biggest plays of the night. But quite honestly, if I went in there and tried to find a feature or a story or an angle on several other defensive players, I could have done it. I mean, Rodney Thomas, the second, seventh round rookie who's looking pretty legit. Probably has two interceptions, if not for the ref getting in his oh damn my way. Gosh. I asked him about that play and he's like, I don't even know how to react to that because like can't the, your eyes on the ball, that. like you're, that you're, far back in the backfield, like what? and he was getting ready to launch and jump for that. And if you look back at that game, I believe that was the Broncos' is like longest play of the game. Mm -hmm. um, if it's not yards. the longest, it was close. But yeah, that could have been a huge momentum swinging play. And then you look back in hindsight, and they kept him out of the end zone again. So it was just a dominant defensive performance, and I think uh, it was. Interesting to see all of them step up simultaneously. I mean, DeForest Buckner's got this big bionic brace on his arm, and he was dominant. Eight tackles, two sacks. I mean, playing through pain, without a doubt. Absolutely. He'll never say it. And then you have, you know, on the flip side, you have Grover Stewart, who's becoming one of my favorite interviews, win or lose or draw, whatever, because he's just so matter-of-fact about everything. I asked him about blocking the 34-yard field goal that kept it locked at 6-6, six, six, which is a huge play, you know? You won the game by three. Absolutely. When you have no offense, you need every everything you can get from defense and special teams. After I ask him about that, he's just like, well, you know, uh, and he's got this southern twang accent, and he's like, I had to just go get it. After the first one, I didn't get it, and, after, and I had to just go get it. And he he that's swatted just, that what with tumbo style. Like, didn't get a finger on it. Like, got his whole damn palm on it. Yes, but again, going back to Gilmore, and I'll let you kind of touch on the offense, but it was this collective sense of respect that that dude who's done so much in the NFL is still that dude. Personally, I don't think that he is what he once was, but if, you know, if, Stefan, if you're listening, I think he'll take offense to that because he is still really, really, really good. And quite honestly, I was shocked that Russell Wilson went his way so often. I mean, the two biggest plays of the game, you're trying to go after a guy who won defensive player of the year. It makes no sense, especially on that last play, because there was a guy who leaked wide open that he could have hit, if not for a first down, easily a touchdown as well. So open. 
So, I mean, I'm glad this is not a Broncos podcast because we would Lord. be 90 minutes, two hours. Um, I mean, they were leaving before the game was over. I mean, it was tied. Overtime was starting, and I don't blame them. They had, I mean, hopes of like an MVP season for him, but it was startling in the in the in the locker room. I love Steph's quote in in the post game on Amazon. He said, "Well, he kept trying me, so I made him pay," and that's what they were shouting in the locker room. They kept testing you. He kept testing you, and and Gilmore made the plays. I can't explain the level of just absolute disbelief in my mind that the Broncos were throwing in those positions, especially with two thirteen left. All you have to do is just run the ball three times up the gut and kick a field goal, and it's over, and you win. I cannot believe they threw it, but that's a different topic for a different day. Gilmore made them pay twice, and Russ, I don't even know what he is anymore. I don't even know where this is going in Denver, but the Colts took advantage, and and it's not the Colts' fault. The Broncos are a mess, but the Colts' offense is a mess as well. It's a crisis right now. It's a problem, and the Colts' quarterback is a situation that they need to look at but yeah, I wanted to give a shout out to the defense because Gus Bradley's unit has been incredible the last, I mean, most of the last three weeks, Kansas City and then Tennessee, you know, they weren't perfect. And then and last night in Denver and then Chase McLaughlin, we got to give him a shout out, right? Four field goals, three of which were 48 or longer. James, it's, I know you're new here, but it's been a while since the Colts could depend on their kicker like that. And that was huge. Obviously the entire scoring that they did last night came from Chase McLaughlin's right foot. So those guys deserve tons of love. And and just because the Colts won ugly doesn't mean we want to diminish the performances of McLaughlin and Gilmore and Alec Pierce and some of these guys who balled out. But we would be remiss if we didn't dig into the offense and the mess that is this unit. Quentin Nelson called it disgusting. Matt Ryan said it was a slog of a game. It was the most substantial offensive line shuffling this team's done in seven years since that Tennessee game in week three of 15, if you guys remember. But basically what they did was they took left tackle Matt Pryor, made him the right tackle. They moved their right tackle, their $70 million right tackle to right guard, which is a very obvious omission that they don't trust him on the edge, which is startling because the Colts have the two highest paid guards in football probably right now with Quentin Nelson. And they moved, you know, Bernard Raymond, the rookie, out to Bernard Ryman, I should pronounce that correctly, out to the left tackle. And he's, he had four penalties in the first half. He played better in the second half, but that's going to be a work in progress, especially at a position that is incredibly punishing. So what happened? Here's where we're at. 11 fumbles for Matt Ryan, five more than any player in football, seven interceptions, the same amount that Carson Wentz had in 17 games last season and 21 sacks, more than Andrew Luck had the entire 18 season, more than Phillip Rivers had the entire 20 season. Long question, but what the hell is wrong with this offense, besides all of the above? Obviously, it starts with the offensive line. Even though they made the big changes, which Frank Reich sort of tried to downplay in a sense, I mean, those are significant. You had shuffles at three positions, basically, that's not normal for any team. So obviously it tells me that they're searching for something, something to spark them, to stabilize them, something to build around, which is concerning going into now week six. But the other thing is just the effects of that. So the two interceptions Matt Ryan had l- last night were both his fault. I do want to make that abundantly clear. There's been plays oh throughout the season. Oh my God, those are the worst throws I've seen. I, I mean, oh my gosh. Absolutely. Am I un- lying? Forgivable. What? How? How? He stared him down the first time. The second one, it was not even open. Same guy. 
you know, Caden Stearns had a huge, uh, huge day, two picks. And I thought to myself, those are two bad throws. That is not on the offensive line. That is not on the wide receivers not getting open. That is a veteran quarterback making really, really poor decisions with the football. And then there were some throws as well where it looked like he was just trying to get rid of it before. Looked like he was seeing ghosts. Like yeah, just, he got just the punishment. Rookie, yeah. As much as they try to downplay that, and even though technically he has now passed Brett Favre for the, you know, I believe now he's got outright on his own the sixth most game-winning drives in NFL history, breaking the tie with Brett Favre. You wouldn't need that game-winning touchdown drive yesterday had Matt Ryan just done his job before that. Yeah, by and not you wouldn't have had a chance if the Broncos were even close to competent, right? Exactly. So I think that, in a sense, the players don't feel it maybe as much as the fans, but they do have this sense of how do we feel? Because it is hard to win in the NFL, and you do deserve credit for winning however you can in the NFL. However, anyone with eyes knows it's not sustainable, and it was sort of a product of two bad teams, at least bad teams offensively, racing to the bottom. And it's, that's what it felt like. It was like, okay, who's going to outslug the next one or just snail race their way to the finish line? It was really, really weird. I, I don't know how to describe it. I have never been in an environment like that where it became so inept at times on offense that it became laughable. It was it was really, really bad football. I mean, fumbles everywhere. Is national TV audience. It it was hysteric. I mean, it was I think this is punishment. I, I grew up watching Peyton Manning and then I covered Andrew Luck's entire career. And I think this is the punishment for that good fortune. Is to having to sit there and watch and then write about whatever the hell that was last night. A couple Guys for Indianapolis Monthly write sort of game recaps, and I think they they put it best. It was a dead horse beating a dead horse. That's what it was last <laughs> night. I couldn't That's fathom so what I was genius. watching. And it's really hard. Where do you come down on this? Like, it's really hard to evaluate Matt Ryan right now because it's really layered. And I know that people have all these responses, but he is responding, whether he admits it or not, to an onslaught of pressure. The dude is running for his life. Now, both things can be true. You can't make those interceptions like those were terrible those were rookie decisions but also the dude is running for his life half the game and the only guy that can probably get out of that in the league I mean maybe there's a couple maybe it's Rodgers and Mahomes and Josh Allen and Lamar but like he came here to play behind a good offensive line and they don't even have a decent offensive line they have one of the worst in football the eye test tells you that so it's hard to explain Matt Ryan he's not even getting a fair chance but he is making inexcusable mistakes so both things are at play. And then what you mentioned, 44 game-winning drives, a lot of those with the Falcons. But let's take a look at this. Houston, week one. In my mind, it's a game-winning drive if they make the field goal. Kansas City. Now he gets a little bit of help from Chris Jones's mouth. And then last night, like as ugly and as putrid and as gruesome as that was, they drove the ball down twice and got field goals, you know, in overtime and in the end of regulation and, and did what they had to do. And I, I know I asked a question that Frank Reich didn't like late last night. I basically said, like, I understand that you won the game and you're happy, but that was the worst offense I've ever seen. Like, how do you come down on the fact that you won, but, like, that's not good enough? And Frank was like, look, we, we should be able to enjoy this win. We know we need to get better. 
the problems aren't going away. The issues have been exposed, and there's no magic fix. There's no Anthony Costanza walking through that door. There's no Jack Doyle walking through that door. God, they would kill for Jack Doyle right now. But, you know, that's the problem. And, and so Matt Ryan's a 37-year-old quarterback running for his life, making the mistakes a quarterback makes when he is running for his life every play. I think he, he had a moment last night where he just erupted and started yelling at his offensive lineman. And frankly, you can't blame him. Ryan's certainly part of the problem right now, but it's not an anomaly. It's not a two-game weird streak. They're not in a slump. They're just straight up bad on the offensive line. And if you read my story this morning, Quentin Nelson, who hasn't been good, basically just came out and said, like, our defense and special teams are bailing us out. This is not good enough. This is the problem. And until that gets fixed, nothing's going to change. And I don't know if it's going to get fixed. That's the problem. Yeah, and I think the tone would shift a lot more had they lost and if the defense continues to play like this and they lose. I mean, they did that on defense without 53 last night and without Julian Blackman as well. And other people got knocked out of the game. We should also mention, you know, offensively, Naheem Hines is now in concussion protocols. He actually wanted to come back. And Frank Reich said, you know, we'll keep him out. No, you can't go back. He had a very similar, like, wobble that Tua had. And then after, obviously, that whole debacle, everyone in the press box knew he's done for the day, whether it's a head, neck, back, whatever. We knew he was out. And rightfully so but then defensively you lose quitty pay you know, even ryan kelly left the game with the with the hip thing that's yeah, kind of bothering him. quitty pay ankles negative but it could be a sprain it could be a couple of weeks ryan kelly hip i asked him last night how much pain he's playing through and maybe this explains a little bit of why he has played in my opinion pretty poorly this season he said i'm playing through a lot of pain now it wasn't an excuse but i think it's pretty real that ryan kelly is not playing where he's been yeah, and then Ashton Doolin leaves the game. I know everyone might think, oh, what has he done? He's still a, a very good special teams player as well. He left the game. So that also made it seem like, hey, you got to win because although you should be able to get Jonathan Taylor back potentially for week six, we'll see about the other guys. But I think you come down even harder on that game if you lose and then you look around the locker room and you've lost a couple more guys. So, again, it was a really weird atmosphere, and I think that it was fairly upbeat, especially on the defense, like I said, because everyone was so happy and you know yelling out every nickname in the book for Stephon Gilmore, bump and run, gilly lock, whatever, whatever. But human nature would tell you if they start to lose these games – and a lot of these games, and the defense continues to ball out, that tone is going to shift. It's, it's going to be very hard to rally around the troops and say you're all in this together when you feel like you're doing everything you're supposed to do and one unit isn't. So that's my biggest takeaway is, okay, it seems like your defense and special teams are doing enough to play at a high level to at least give you a chance to win, but it is so hard for the offense. They entered the game with the worst offense in the league, averaging 14.3 points per game. They leave it still with the worst offense in the league at 13.8. And somehow they've won two games without averaging two touchdowns. They haven't scored three touchdowns in a game this season. And I know you had the stat in your story. I believe they haven't scored over 20. You know, they've reached 20, but they haven't scored over 20 in the last seven games dating back to last season. So, yeah, it, it's it's alarming to say the least. And I want to ask you this. What was your takeaway 
from the way the team responded after the Gilly interception because it felt like, wait a second, did we just write them off too soon? Are they really? Because part of me was like, it would be kind of a sick joke to see them go 75, whatever yards and actually do something with the ball. And they did. They did. They they, they did when the they absolutely had to seen. do it. It was textbook. It didn't make sense. And, and I, 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 I can't explain to you how stunned I was at the Broncos' decisions. I know that nobody came to listen to this to talk about that, but I cannot believe what they did. But they, they got the run game going a little bit. I mean, Deion Jackson had 62 yards. Philip Lindsay had 40. And, like, wh- what are we doing talking about those two guys? You know, Naheem Hines and Jonathan Taylor. What has stunned me the most is how wrong I was and anybody watching this team in training camp was about this offense. I talked a lot about in August about Matt Pryor and how much he concerned me at left tackle, and I didn't like the tight end group. And and I just didn't think that Matt Ryan was going to be this big of an issue. I didn't think the line was going to be this bad with those guys all healthy, Braden Smith, Ryan Kelly, Quentin Nelson, those are the guys I'm talking about. This is a huge problem, though, right now. If you go back and look, Colts fans are probably tired of watching these because they're always in third and long. Like 12 of their last 16 third downs have been seven yards or more. And there was a perfect illustration of this last night. They get a penalty in the Broncos. They get a first and five. And the five yards for the Colts is like 20 for other teams. They get a first and five. And what happens? They lose yards. They lose yards. And it's a third and 12. And of course, they don't get third and 12 because they can't protect. They can't throw deep. And if not for Alec Pierce balling his ass out last night, they don't win that game. The rookie out of Cincinnati is just growing up fast, and, and they deserve credit for finding him and developing him, and Reggie Wayne's doing a great job with that dude, taking a little bit off of Pittman. And I, and I do want to share something that Matt Ryan told me late last night in the locker room, and I was like, I can't believe how quickly Pierce is stepping up. And he's like, an old coach told me one time, in, in critical moments, you think players, not plays. And he was talking about Pierce, and that is a lot of a compliment right there. That's a huge, huge, huge respect thing for Matt Ryan, a 15-year veteran, to say that about a 23-year-old. But I'm just staggered at how bad this offensive line gets beat every single Sunday, Thursday, whatever it is. Like, pick a day of the week, they're getting beat. Chris Strasser's not getting it done. Matt Ryan's having to throw in two seconds or less every single time. He's having to run. You can't do anything. And and that's, that's what I just... You know, that's the biggest curveball, I think, this season is just how wrong we were about this offense and the quarterback and, and that system. I will say this. In 2018, with different players, the offensive line started to gel in week six or seven, and they really took off. I think they only allowed four sacks the rest of the way, but that was with a much better quarterback and a much, much, much better left tackle in Anthony Costanzo. They don't have those pieces right now. They simply don't. There's no quick switch. There's no there's no light bulb that's going to go off and they're going to be a good offensive line tomorrow. It's just not going to happen. They're going to have to make do. The problem is they're a very, very flawed team, and, and those flaws are going to continue to be exposed. And if you play any other offense last night, you lose by two touchdowns, and it's a completely different conversation today. Absolutely. That's the other thing is I get it. It's hard to win in the NFL. Every win does count. I mean, that's the other thing is like, who cares about deserve or how it looks? It counts. It all counts the same. Seriously. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire. By famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. And I mentioned this before this game had to do like a quarter state of the team type of thing for the athletic. And I wrote, what's the most important stretch of games? One of the questions and I wrote starting Thursday night. That was that to me, the next three games inside the season to me, if they had gone, if they had lost last night. And they have two more coming up against, again, division foes, Jacksonville and Tennessee, which could still determine the season. I think you have to win at least one of these. You probably want to try to win both, obviously, but you cannot go through at that point that many conference games, not conference games, division games, and not have a win and expect to be a playoff team. But they showed something. If anything, they showed the ability to find an ugly, messed up way to win, and it counts. So the thing that I'm – a little taken aback by is just this weird limbo that's that's in between. Because even listening to Frank Reich after that win, they always post like the post game videos, and he was giving his speech, and he's saying, you know, credit to all three phases, you know, credit to you know, you know, offense. I know we have to get better, but credit to you all because when we needed it, we got it. And it's like, eh, if you say so, like it, it kind of feels like you're, you're the you're the kid in the in the group project who who didn't you know, do his part. You didn't do your part, but hey, you passed. Yeah, that feels fair. Yeah. Yeah, you wonder if that's going to catch up. But I will mention again, to kind of piggyback off what you said, Alec Pierce looks legit. He looks like the truth. A lot of contested catches. That's what impressed me the most. And then his mental fortitude has to be talked about as well. Because 
he had a run after the catch early in the game and he got he fumbled it and they fumbled a lot. And actually, I think I want to say they do that every week. Both teams fumbled combined five or six times, and neither one of them six actually times. turned it on, turned it over on the fumble. Yeah, that's crazy. Like, which is what are the odds of that? So it just gives you another sight of how chaotic that game was. How do you fumble six times and nobody ever actually loses the fumble? Paris Campbell made a nice recovery. I will give him credit. I mean, these these numbers are alarming. I mean, it's just like, this is what we watched last night and everybody at home, for those of the Colts fans that stayed up and watched that game, like you guys God deserve you. like respect. I respect that. <laughs> we had to be there. Um, obviously, no touchdowns in, in, in overtime in four quarters. Six for 31 combined on third down. 33 incomplete passes with two quarterbacks who in theory should be decent. Let's not go further than that. But these aren't like backup backups like, you know, we've seen in the last couple of years with COVID games or whatever. Six fumbles, like you said, and 12 punts. Maybe the most horrific offensive game I've ever seen in my life, ever. And it, it took me back to 2017. That's what I'm watching. I'm watching the 2017 team. And that was Jacoby Brissett at quarterback while Andrew Luck was hurt. And it was a terrible offensive line that allowed 56 sacks. And that was before they rebranded the offensive line and went and got Quentin Nelson and went and got Braden Smith and and fixed the problems that had plagued this team for five or six years. They're all the way back there right now. This team leads the league in sacks allowed. They lead the league in fumbles. They lead the league in all the things you don't want to lead the league in. And yet they're 500. So it's really hard to explain what the heck this team is and where it's going. But I do feel very strongly that the flaws are real and they're unsustainable and they will bite them. I don't know how they're going to fare against Jacksonville because the last time they played Jacksonville a month ago, they absolutely got whooped. I don't want to hear about a curse or a hex. They got beat up in every single phase of that game. They need to come to Lucas Oil next Sunday, rested 10 days in between games, and play like a completely different team. Maybe the offensive line sees another change. I don't know. And I think Taylor, if he's able to play, obviously you get that piece back. But the last time we saw Taylor, they had 38 rushing yards. So Try to make sense of, this, uh, sense of this team because I can't right now. I just don't trust them. That's all I know. My thing is that I'm out on the offensive line being good this season. Like good would be awesome, but like mediocre is is far away. That's what it feels like. And to me, that should be. Which is a crazy thing to the, say, but it is the yeah, reality. It should be the goal of the offensive line. Just get back to just average football. That should be your goal. Like internally, you should always think, obviously, I want to be the best. I want to be better. But I do think from the outside looking in, lowered expectations have to be made because you're not going to become something different after five games. That's just my personal theory about any team in the NFL. I think that we're past that point where we can say it's early, things are going to get turned around. And the irony in all of this and how bad they've played, so to speak, collectively as a group, that is the Colts, at 2-2-1, two, two and one, this is one of the best starts in the Frank Reich tenure era. Oh, my God, that's true. That's a crazy statement, though. Like, they feel like they're 1-4, but they're not. So I don't know. It's it's a really weird thing. And I thought that uh, Frank Reich had this really unique quote, you know, credit to Bob Kravitz for asking him about it. He's like, hey, did this game feel as ugly, you know, as it looked for you all, especially offensively and just collectively, you know, both teams. And, you know, I'm paraphrasing, but Frank Reich's like, yeah, it did cross my mind. It was it was really, really bad <laughs> offensive football. And then here's what he did say, you know, verbatim. He says, I didn't know how to feel. And then I'm, you know, skipping ahead. He says, I am happy that we won, but I also know that wasn't a good enough offensive performance. 
It was good enough last night. And I know nobody wants to hear that, but that, but that's the facts. It was good enough last night. It's true, but it's also infuriating if you're a fan of this team, if you're someone who has high expectations for this team, because you know, everyone knows you cannot sell us this, you know, all for one, we're all in this together, everything doesn't matter. We won. That's the only thing that ever matters. If you won Super Bowl like that, sure, but that's not the Super Bowl. That was a week five game against a very bad team. And the only reason you didn't lose the game is because the Broncos are awful. And quite honestly, we've acknowledged that Matt Ryan, this should be his last season under center, so to speak. Like, obviously, they could bring him back next season, but I do think you have to address the quarterback issue. Bob Kravitz wrote about that. And it's quite obvious to me that you cannot bring him back and expect him to be a high level pro, especially with the way that he's going right now. He just looks older and doesn't look like Matt Ryan, the guy we thought this team was getting, but they at least did not mortgage their future for him like Russell Wilson. So again, when we were leaving at one thirty, I was like, Hey, this is a rough game. And I think that's why it took me so long to kind of get my thoughts together. Cause it was like defensively, there was so much good offensively. There was so much bad and then overall so much weirdness, but I still did not feel as bad as these Denver Broncos fans or whatever their franchise is feeling because, I mean, you gave up heaven and earth to correct your quarterback situation. And quite honestly, it looks like Russell Wilson might be done as well. It was really weird. Some of the decisions, you can make the mistakes and throws might not, but like just the decision on some of those, like the one that he threw to Rodney Thomas was the easiest pick of Rodney Thomas's yeah. career. Fly probably ball to center just, field. just throw it up in the air and, hope that someone down is going to make a play like Megatron isn't out there. So that was really weird. Completely discombobulated. I don't know if Hackett makes it the entire season, but yeah, I guess there you go. If you're the Colts fan, you wake up this morning and you're saying to yourself, at least I'm not a Broncos fan. Seriously. Because they're in a much tougher division and there's something going on with the quarterback and coach that just isn't working. But Matt Ryan said something late last night and, and he's right. And it doesn't make anyone feel better, but he said, you have to win games while you improve like you have to win ugly you have to win games when you make a lot of mistakes early in the season is this team improving I know they are on one side of the ball they absolutely are getting better on defense and if 53 comes back I don't know when that's going to be but if 53 comes back and starts to play like the 53 of old that's that changes the game he's one of the best most dynamic players in the league and Blackman helps as well on the back end but on offense they're not getting better they're they're the worst offense I've ever seen at least in five or six years they're among the worst in the league, and there's no there's no saving grace. There's no like magic pill that's going to make that better. But he is right. They're two two and one, and this team has turned it on before, and gotten hot. You know, in, in this time of year, in the next couple of weeks, and played well in October, November, December. Do I see that happening? I I just don't. I don't this time because these these flaws feel fatal to me. They do. They just. They, I just don't see this magically turning. I just, I just don't. But that's me. And and Matt Ryan's right. Like you have to win. They're two, two and one. They're technically tied with the Jaguars and the Titans, who both beat them already in the AFC South. And they're going to see those two teams in the next two weeks, which is awesome because we're going to see if this team can bounce back. I say bounce back after a win, but it feels like they need to bounce back. The offense certainly does. But man, can we just have like a quiet week? Can we have like a normal game for once? Because I feel like we haven't had one since like. November of last year. 
normal is obviously not in my recipe for covering the Colts. I cannot count how many times I've sat in the press box and heard you and Holder and Joel and Nate and George and everyone, Chap, you know, even Chap, people saying, like, I've never seen this before. Chap covered the 91 Colts that won one in 15. I mean, he covers on bad football. And jokes aside, it is it is pretty startling when a guy who's been around it that long starts to kind of dig in the memory bank and say, oh, I remember when this happened way back when. And it's like he's digging back into stuff that is not good, that predates Peyton Manning back when the Colts were the laughing stock of the NFL. So when that's happening, you probably should have some red flags going up. But no, I don't think it's uh, in my DNA to cover a regular game. I'm sorry to all the Colts fans out there. I'll take the blame for how things have gone because it has been truly an experience. But again, I've grown more appreciation for the NFL, obviously being closer to it, being in the locker room after games, talking to these players, seeing how much really just mental strain goes into every week. It's such a different beast. It's like a weekly war. That's what it felt like. I think one player told me that one time. It, it really feels like that. You put so much into every week. And one play changes everything. If Russell Wilson finds, you know, an open receiver or if they run the ball or whatever the case may be, even if they kick it and tie it, the atmosphere today. That's a for sure a tie, I think, right? There was like four oh, absolutely. minutes left. That'd be the most Colts thing ever. Only one team in the modern era has two ties in a season, the 1970 Falcons, for those who were curious. Yes, and, and quite honestly, I was curious, which is why Zach had to chase down that stat, because it looked like for a split second there that we could be headed towards some truly weird stuff. Could you imagine if there are 500, but in a, in a completely different way? Oh, my gosh. I didn't want to go down that rabbit hole. Maybe we should uh, kind of pivot away from that, but... Yeah, I mean, that's the NFL. That's And Tom Brady made this you know, this comment earlier in this week, and I know the Colts podcast, I only hear about Tom Brady, but he made a point. He's like, about the parody in the league, there's a lot of bad football being played. What? Why did he say that? What's he talking about? He looked right on the money. I mean, Al Michaels <laughs> being held hostage, you know, as he Checked out last night. He was done with that game. <laughs> and he's, he's, he's a guy who has so much experience and stature that if he can kind of say and get away with stuff that maybe others can't, which made it even more funny from what fans and everyone else was saying on, on the timeline. I must say, as much as I complain about Twitter and all the other nonsense, it was truly hilarious to kind of scroll through and I do my thing I've done this with the paces I, I figured I would just carry it over to the Colts at halftime of every game I tweet out hey Colts fans give me your reaction gifts only gifs only however you pronounce it it is so funny to just get the reactions from everyone like when well, somebody showed me a, a, a gif where you know they're cleaning their eyes out because that's what it felt like after a lot watching of people that said game. that game took 10 years off their life I do not blame them. I saw a couple after the game walking to the locker room and I was walking on the field and I saw a couple that had made the trip. Like, why wouldn't you want to go to Denver in early October and, and watch the Colts on the road? And, and then that's the game you get. And there were a lot of my flight home this morning and, and they were mixed reviews. Like, you know, they felt great. That they won. They had to win. They had to win ugly. But my goodness, I don't know what positives you can take away offensively. But, but that's where this team is at. So two, two and one. Players get a weekend off, they recharge, and then they will get back to work next week with the Jaguars coming to Lucas Oil Stadium. And then a big one, another big one at Tennessee the following week. And then if you peek ahead a little bit, there's another big one 
an old friend, Carson Wentz, is coming back to Lucas Oil Stadium. There will be some storylines, I imagine, related to that game. And that's where we're at. Baby steps, Zach. Baby steps. I'm not ready for all that right now. You're looking now. for a quiet game. You're not going to get it. <laughs> this team is 2-2-1. Two, two, and one. That was among the most wildest games I've ever covered in my nine years on the beat. And I'm still processing what the hell we watched at Mile High Stadium last night. But that's it for 1% Better. The Colts, I don't know if they got 1% better last night. I don't know where they're at. We'll wrap it up. We get a weekend off, which is very much appreciated. We don't get many of those in the fall. So for James Boyd, I'm Zach Kiefer. Thanks for listening. Thanks for bearing through that football game last night. And we will catch up with you guys next week.